Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. When the parents brought in the child, Jesus, to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace, for my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, This child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. Father, we pray once again, we ask that as we look into your word that you will give us insight into your word and that there will be some nugget that stays with each one of us that helps us a little bit in thinking through our approach toward this Christmas season and that you will also deepen our understanding of how you unveiled your plan and why you were so careful and so precise. We ask that you would walk with us this week. You know each and every person here. You know the struggles that we've gone through during the week. You know the folks who are dealing with some sickness that we haven't told the rest of the congregation about. You know those who are struggling to keep their marriages together. You know those who are aching in their prayers over a child who has wandered from what seems like the right path or has made bad decisions. You know those who have family discussions that didn't go so well on Thanksgiving where somebody brought up something uncomfortable and we had to negotiate or uh, try a referee and everything changed because of the human dynamic. Lord, you know the struggles that we're already thinking about as we think about Monday morning and, and work starting again. And we ask for strength when we call upon you for strength. We ask for hope that you will fill where Hope has been dashed. And we ask for peace of heart in this season in folks that are longing for peace, either in their own lives or in their family or in their deepest part of their souls. And we ask for wisdom, that you will grant us the wisdom that we need for every difficult decision or task that is coming up or for every awkward conversation that we get into. Let the peace of Jesus Christ rule in our hearts daily and let every conversation that we have be seasoned with grace so that we will be known as your children, not just those who show up in a church on Sunday and worship, but those who are living for you day by day. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. It's reported that Margaret Thatcher, Prime Minister of England, once famously said, I am extraordinarily patient, provided I get my own way in the end. 
Isn't that the way patience often works for us? Uh, there's another old saying by that great author, Anonymous. Uh, patience is a virtue. Possess it if you can. Seldom found in woman, never found in man. <laughs> you and I live in a time that rewards those who run fast and rarely have patience for anything that moves slowly. Think of it. Nearly all of us carry mobile phones in our pockets or in our purses and that have all of our most frequently dialed numbers saved in a favorites list that replace something that we used to call speed dial. Remember that? Single people have endured gatherings where you meet a series of people of the opposite sex and you sit on the other side of a table from them and you uh, engage in a brief amount of conversation gathering information until all of a sudden there's a, a little bell that goes off and you move on to the next person. And we have a name for this, we call it speed dating. I've actually done a couple of weddings for people who met doing some version of either online dating or speed dating. I saw a new version of this on a webpage for the University of Wisconsin-Madison this week. It was called speed friending. It's for those who are newly starting college and how do you jumpstart the, the process of making friends that you hope will be your friends for life. And if you're in a hurry to get your oil changed, you take your car to a place where you drive up, you get the work done, and you never have to leave the front seat of your car. Uh, the first of these that came out was called Jiffy Lube. So Jiffy goes along with speed in this process. And then we have an entire food group category that is part of this same obsession. You can order an entire meal while sitting in your car. Did you know that? You only have to roll down your window in order to order. You don't need a table or a fork or a knife. Everything comes in specially prepared wrappers and cardboard boxes, and it tastes really good, but it's never good for you. We know what we call this. We call this fast food, and some of us live on this stuff, me included. In our fast-paced, immediate gratification-oriented culture, patience is a virtue in short supply. And so, by design, Advent arrives as an annual emergency break on everything that goes fast. Because in the season of Advent, we learn to celebrate the discipline of, you ready for this? Waiting. Like with Carly Simon's vocals decades ago, we find that sometimes it is a good thing when anticipation is making us wait. So good morning. Our theme this morning is patience. This is one of a series that we're calling the gifts of Christmas. And I find it amazing that just two days after the mania of Black Friday, we find ourselves in the first week of this season called Advent. And we're told about waiting and patience. The concept of Advent comes to us from a Latin word, Adventus, which literally means coming. So this season was designed during a time when most people in Europe were illiterate. And so the church leaders came up with a liturgical calendar that always would start with Advent and was designed to portray the drama of the life of Christ on an annual basis. People in that era didn't have to know how to read in order to benefit from the Advent season and that's actually the beauty of focusing in on Advent today because we find that we're missing something too. Even though most of us can read, I hope we can all read, yet the ability 
to slow down and wait often escapes us. Our tour guide on this part of the journey into Advent is a man whose entire contribution to the Gospels is found in the 11 verses that we just read in Luke chapter 2, verses 25 to 35. His name is Simeon, an otherwise unknown Jewish prophet who lived in Jerusalem at the time of Jesus' birth, who's written about here in this section and then never heard from again in the rest of Scripture. Here's what we're going to learn this morning from Simeon. Waiting patiently upon the Lord draws us closer to God. Waiting patiently upon the Lord draws us closer to God. I'd like to walk through some benefits of cultivating patience during the Advent season into our lives. Here's the first one. Patience fills us with hope. And we need hope. Patience fills us with hope. We start off in verse 25, and there it says, Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon, who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was on him. We see this concept of patience in Simeon through the words he was waiting. We don't know how long he he was waiting. You get the sense he was waiting and waiting and waiting in a determined fashion. Specifically, he was waiting for something that the New Testament here calls the consolation of Israel. Is that a concept that you're all immediately familiar with, the consolation of Israel? I doubt it. It's the only time that this phrase is actually used in the entire New Testament. However, the root word that's behind that word that gets translated as consolation is a concept that appears 29 other times in different forms in the New Testament. And it speaks loudly of those moments when God comes near in order to bring comfort to his people. So a derivative of the same word is the word that's used to describe the Holy Spirit when Jesus says he's going to send another counselor or another comforter to you. And it's the same word that the Apostle Paul uses later on in his letters describing how God comes near to comfort us in our hours of distress so that we can learn how to comfort other people. Comfort in the English language is an interesting concept. It generally has two primary uses. The first has to do with entering a state of ease, like staying in a very comfortable hotel room, or sitting in your favorite chair with your feet up watching the Patriots later on today. Absolute comfort. But the second kind of comfort is what Simeon was experiencing here. This kind of comfort is like when you're going through a really hard time. Let's say, You're called to a hospital room because somebody that you love is near the point of death and it came on suddenly and you're just aching and hurting over this and all of a sudden somebody else from your family or your neighborhood or your church shows up with you in the waiting room and they have just the right word to say or they put their arm around you and you experience firsthand in a real way that kind of comfort that only that person seemed to know how to give at the right moment, at the right time, in the right way. You know what I'm talking about? God is our comforter. And he's reminding us again. And Simeon had been reading through the Old Testament scriptures and was waiting for the consolation, the comforting of Jerusalem and all Israel that he believed was coming. The people of Israel were suffering when Jesus was born. 
The first reason for that was that the Roman Empire controlled the entire region. And when Rome ruled, it was only fun for the Romans, never for anybody else. And so it was for Israel. The people of Israel were dominated, heavily taxed, and at times treated with tremendous amounts of abuse. How did Simeon know to wait for the consolation of, the God, of God for the people of Israel? Well, Luke tells us something. He, he gives us a clue. And one of the first things he tells us about Simeon, this otherwise unknown man, was that he was a prophet. Essentially, an Old Testament prophet who shows up here in the New Testament. Why do I say that? Well, Jesus hadn't gone to the cross yet. The fullness of his grace had not yet been unveiled and put on display. And so Simeon's no different from a prophet operating in the day of Isaiah or Malachi or Jeremiah. He's looking forward to finding out what God would do. First Peter chapter 1 tells us some of the habits of the prophets who existed before the time of Jesus or even during the time of Jesus. This is what we read in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 10 and 11. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who spoke of the grace that was to come to you searched intently and with the greatest care, trying to find out the time and circumstances to which the Spirit of Christ in them was pointing when he predicted the sufferings of the Messiah and the glories that would follow. So sometimes we have this image that uh, all prophets did was preach at people. But this is saying that the prophets studied the Old Testament scriptures in order to try to figure out what God was going to do. They wanted to know the timing. They wanted to know the circumstances. When was the Messiah going to come? When was all this going to become clearer that everybody could understand? And so you get the sense that Simeon had poured over the Old Testament scriptures, especially the writings of the prophets, the five major prophets, the 12 minor prophets, minor only in that their writings were smaller but all important. And we'll come to find that the words of Simeon reek with the aroma of the writings of Isaiah. I get the sense, even though the scriptures don't tell us this, just from reading between the lines and seeing the kinds of things that he talks about here, that Simeon was a specialist in the prophet Isaiah. And he believed that God was going to show up and comfort his people. And the more the people suffered, the more Simeon made himself ready for God to show up. And so he quotes from Isaiah. Isaiah 40 included a prophecy about God comforting his people in Jerusalem. It starts off by saying, comfort, comfort my people. Waiting upon God in the light of scriptural promises filled Simeon with hope. And so I dare say that waiting upon God in the light of scriptural promises fills us with hope too. And therefore, one of the joys, one of the benefits of walking through some of these texts and trying to pick them apart in the beginning of the Advent season is as we start to see what God is doing, it fills our hearts with a measure of joy as well. Waiting patiently upon the Lord draws us closer to God. Here's the second benefit. Patience aligns us with God's plans. Let's jump to verse 26. 
It had been revealed to him, to Simeon, by the Holy Spirit, that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Now, Simeon had two powerful clues about what was coming. The first was the consolation of Israel that he was waiting for, that God was going to comfort his people in some way. The second was that the Messiah was coming and that the Messiah would come before Simeon would die. We already saw that waiting upon God in light of scriptural promises filled him with hope. And now we see this become even more personal for Simeon. The Holy Spirit reveals to him something very, very personal and specific. That Simon, that Simeon rather, would see the Messiah in the flesh. Now, this makes me wonder, how old was Simeon? The text doesn't tell us. Was he an older person who was really excited thinking, well, look, I can figure out the way my body's working and everything else. I don't have that much longer to live, so the Messiah has to be coming right around the corner. Or was he an adult in middle age somewhere and think this could still be decades away? We don't know. But there is a clue in that Simeon is tied to the next prophet who shows up in the paragraphs that we didn't read. There's a prophet named Anna. And we're told that Anna is very old. In fact, there's a dispute among interpreters of Luke chapter 2 as to whether she was 84 years old or whether that was saying that she was married and then she'd been a widow and then she got married again and there was another 84 years that had gone by which would put her somewhere in her hundreds, like 104 years old. We don't know. And in fact, the the, the language of the, of the Greek that it's written in is a little bit confusing in the way that they deal with numbers, which makes it less precise in the way that we interpret in English. And so you will find different English translations. Some say she was 84. Some say she was even older than 84. Neither one is worth debating or, or arguing over. She was old. <laughs> and she shows up in a couple of chapters where God seems to honor and work through older people in the community. We're told about the presence of the Holy Spirit six times in Luke chapter 1 and Luke chapter 2. Three times in in relationship here to Simeon. But also there are three other references. One was with Zechariah, the prophet who was ministering in the temple. And then with his wife, Elizabeth, we know that Zechariah was old and, and Elizabeth was well beyond childbearing years. And then the third is with their son who becomes John the Baptist. And so there's Zechariah and Elizabeth and Anna who we know was getting up there in years. And it gives me the sense that maybe Simeon was one of those guys that was nearing the end of his days and hanging on to this promise, holding on to see how God was going to fulfill it. And we also see this link between the work of the Holy Spirit and the plans of God. Verse 25 says that the Holy Spirit was upon Simeon. Verse 26 then tells us that the Holy Spirit had revealed to him this clue about the coming of the Messiah during his lifetime. And then verse 27 adds that Simeon was moved by the Holy Spirit and sent to the temple. Now think of that. Sometimes we have a very limited view of the role of the Holy Spirit before Pentecost. Pentecost was the day when the Holy Spirit fell upon the disciples after Jesus' ascension back to the heavens and he came upon them with great power so that their ministry began to go forward in a very dramatic fashion. And we sometimes 
get the sense that the Holy Spirit did not indwell believers prior to that moment of Pentecost. We don't find that language used. But Luke here mentions the Holy Spirit three times in connection with Simeon's ministry. Upon him, revealing to him, and then sending him, prompting him to go to the temple on a day when he normally would not have gone. So it makes sense that the Holy Spirit was operating all around the arrival of the Messiah. We should never forget that. We should never think that Jesus was completely on his own, untended, defenseless. The Holy Spirit was prompting and preparing people all around him. And this patient waiting for the consolation of Israel is now linked to the birth of the Messiah. Which meant that Simeon now understood for the first time that these plans of the consolation of Israel and the coming of the Messiah were tied together and they were one and the same. God had a plan all mapped out. And through Simeon's patient waiting, God was revealing how he had aligned his plans with Simeon's life. I don't know about you, but I find that pattern gives me hope too. That God has plans that that he wants to unfold and unveil in this world and, and he rarely unveils them years in advance to us. But if we're leaning into his life, if we are leaning into his spirit, if we are opening our hearts to him and saying, Lord, use me today, it is amazing how many times God enfolds us into something that he wants to do in this world. God has plans and only reveals them with care and purpose. And here he enfolds Simeon in a way that is profound and personal and dramatic. I don't know about you, but when we sing carols like this, I think that God sometimes wants to envelop us into those moments. I, I turned around as we were singing a moment ago, a moment ago about uh, glory in excelsis Deo. And we were all standing there singing and there was joy in the hearts. And then I saw my friend Max dancing and leaping in the back. And, and I thought, when have I ever seen anybody experience the joy of the Lord and the glory of the Lord in one of our rather reserved worship services? Thank God for the gift of autism to our congregation. Right? I remember Max when he was a little boy and we all prayed for him. And I think what we had in mind, probably I did, was God that you'll turn this around and you'll correct this and you'll change things in Max. And it's obvious God had a different plan. God wanted to change us through Max. See, waiting patiently upon the Lord draws us closer to his plans. It draws us closer to God. Here's the third benefit of cultivating patience in our lives. Patience then leads to a greater sense of peace. Verse 27. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. When the parents, this is Joseph and Mary, brought in the child, Jesus, to do for him what the custom of the law required. Now what they were doing was dedicating him. This was a dedication service. He had already been circumcised. We read about that in the paragraph earlier. But now they were coming and they were dedicating their son. This had to do with firstborn males. 
And the pattern that had been prescribed in the Old Testament was when a firstborn male was born to the family, they would dedicate that child to the Lord, saying, Lord, this, this child belongs to you, and we're asking that you would work through him in a dramatic, profound way. And there was a whole ceremony and a system of what would be offered at that time. And in faithfulness, on the eighth day of Jesus' life, they're bringing him to the temple for a dedication. So next time we do a, an infant dedication here, just remember, this isn't some kind of a replacement service. This is going back to what Joseph and Mary did with, with Jesus. Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. This was Simeon's farewell speech. He announced that all of the hopes of his life were coming together and being completed in this moment. And having seen Jesus, who the Spirit has already told him is the coming Messiah, the chosen one of God, he announces that he's ready to die. Lord, you can let me go now. It doesn't get any better than this, he's saying. This pattern of waiting upon the Lord had aligned his view of life with the promise that had been made to him. And his singular calling up until the day that he met Joseph and Mary was to bear witness to the arrival of the Messiah. And so he declares, this is enough. I don't have to live long enough to see him grow up. I don't have to live long enough to watch him go through his three years of public ministry. I don't have to live long enough to sit with crowds of people who are wowed by Jesus. I don't have to live long enough to understand all the dynamics and complexities of the cross and the resurrection. You promised you would send your son and then your spirit sent me into the temple. This is enough. I can die with this. And then the words of Simeon's declaration take us deeper. In the words of this poetic response that he offers, we also see Simeon taking a step closer in his relationship with God. He acknowledges that God is sovereign over all of life. Sovereign God, he calls him. Sovereign Lord. And then he submits to the Lord's leadership and control. You can dismiss me now. If you don't, that's fine. I'll keep serving on, but you can dismiss me now. I'm, I'm completely under your command. And he adds that his eyes have seen the salvation that God brings. And then he quotes Isaiah about Jesus being a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of the people of Israel. No small vision that Simeon has here even though he's the only one who's acknowledging the full identity of Jesus on that particular day other than his parents, he sees in his mind that there will be hundreds and even thousands of the people of Israel who will embrace Jesus as the Messiah. And that it, that it won't be contained there, but it will go out to the nations and to all the Gentile people groups and he knows he's at the cusp of something that God has been waiting to announce for thousands of years and all of a sudden it's going to explode forth. These tender words reveal that Simeon only sees his life in relationship to serving God. 
this pattern of patiently waiting on God has influenced his perspective on life. The more that you and I study God's word, the more that you and I wait upon his promises. We also find that our perspectives change. And more and more we are drawn toward the Lord himself. Now these benefits of patience are borne out by other studies. Uh, There was a 12-year-old study done in 2007 by Fuller Seminary Professor Sarah Schnitker and UC Davis Professor Robert Emmons. They did a study in 2007 that was looking at the habits that people develop in cultivating patience in their lives. And what they found were there were some very profound results that happened in the people who worked at cultivating this sense of patience. One is that uh, those who cultivate patience on a regular basis enjoy better overall mental health. They found that people who cultivate patience in their lives experience less depression and fewer lasting negative attitudes. They found that people who do this also cope better with stress and are more mindful and feel more filled with gratitude in an ongoing way in life. And they also found that patience is linked to a greater sense of experiencing hope in life. Patience has many benefits for us. It's as if Simeon is saying, every once in a while, get to Advent. Slow down. Remember, hit the brakes. There are good things that come from celebrating the way people waited and waited and waited to find out what the Lord was going to do. We will experience peace Uh, We will examine peace as another of the gifts of Christmas in a few weeks, but what we see here is that Simeon was completely at peace with God's plans. Even though he announces to Mary that sin and rebellion will also be a part of the picture and that a sword will pierce her own soul too, in other words, there's going to be violence around Jesus, Simeon nonetheless exudes this powerful sense of the peace that had come to him as a result of seeing the infant Jesus. Waiting patiently upon the Lord draws us closer to God. And then one final benefit. Now we patiently wait for Jesus' return. Same author, different book, Luke also writes in the opening chapter of Acts. He says, they were looking intently up into the sky as he was going. This is the day that Jesus ascended back to the heavens. When suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Who are the two men dressed in white? Angels, right? Glowing, brilliant, dazzling white, show up from nowhere. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. So here is Luke, same author of these gospel accounts who's writing in the Acts of the Apostles, and he points us to one more piece of this patient expectation. Jesus will come again. Until then, we are his witnesses in this world. We bear witness to Jesus' work in our lives and we point others to his truth and we do this one by one. Faith is most often caught from one friend to another. So, I want to end this message in the same way that I began it. I want to ask one question 
that is most prominent in this Christmas season. Who's your one? Who's the one person God has put on your heart? Because we celebrated communion that tells us that every time we eat this bread and drink this cup, we are proclaiming the Lord's death until he comes. And sometimes we have to do that more than silently. Sometimes we have to do that verbally. And Christmas is the easiest way for us to do that. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for taking us through these lessons from Simeon, from this wise, older Christian, perhaps one of the first Christians who had come to understand the identity of Jesus. Help us to follow in his footsteps, looking backward, filled with awe, anticipating the celebration of the arrival of Jesus the first time, and looking forward with anticipation again to the day when he comes to set the world right and reveals himself in glory. Thank you for putting us in between these two advents that both speak of his coming. Help us to be faithful witnesses day by day until he returns. It's in his name we pray. Amen.